Good morning, Mansfield Bible. So good to be with you. Very thankful to be here to open up the Word of God and see what He has for us this morning. Uh, I grew up at Mansfield Bible Church, so it's uh, extra special just to come back every year and get to see how you're doing. Uh, I was explaining to my six-year-old son that he was going to go to childcare during this service, and it was the same childcare that I was a six-year-old at, and his little mind exploded. He was just trying to wrap his head around that. Hey, as I. Uh, was previously shared, uh, we do work for the Navigators. And if you're unfamiliar with the work of the Navigators, it's an international missions organization that was founded in the 1930s and uh, emphasizes spiritual growth through God's word and one-on-one life-to-life disciple making. And so that's kind of our big majors, the things that we're about. I currently serve as the campus director at the University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida, where we've been for almost six years. Uh, I also serve part-time in the leadership development wing of the Navigators, helping our Navigator missionaries around the globe, kind of grow overall in their heart and skill of leadership to kind of uh, organize and lead out in some of these disciple-making works. And so uh, that's a little bit what I do. Uh, My wife, Sarah, is here also, uh, serves part-time on the campus, always keeps a a time to disciple young women that we work with, as well as shepherd and train uh, young staff women in some local and national initiatives. And so we're happy to be here. We did bring our two littlest disciples over in childcare. They're six and four. They're glad to be here as well. Hey, we've been on Navigator staff for coming up on 10 years, which means Mansfield Bible Church has been supporting our ministry for a decade. Isn't that amazing? Um, Yeah, I should be clapping for you. Uh, We firstly want to communicate before we get into the scriptures and all those things. We're so thankful. Thank you so much. We're so, uh, it's such a joy to be a part of the body of Christ with you. Thanks for allowing us to be stewarding faithful ministry uh, through your faithful partnership over all those years. Each year that we visit, I get so excited, not just to share about some random college campus in Florida, but rather how your support, your resources, your prayers are making disciples on the strategic training ground of the college campus, where every year God through us is mobilizing students to go and to share the the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. And we're mobilizing students, I say that purposely, it's not pastors and professionals, but regular, ordinary people who have an extraordinary faith and capacity to believe that God would use their lives in whatever context he would send them. That's the vision of what we're trying to accomplish in doing ministry on the college campus. So thank you so much for letting us do that. Hey, I know these uh, last little bit, you guys have been talking as a church about spiritual warfare. Uh, I got an email from Lingle kind of telling me that that's what you guys were talking about and that that this is week six or seven or something. And guys, when I heard that, I thought, don't mess with Mansfield Bible Church. They go hard on the spiritual warfare series. Not a one-off. I love it. I love uh, God's sovereignty that he would lead your church family in such a time as this, maybe no more better time, urgent time in our community, in our world, to lift our eyes up towards heaven, to engage in the reality, the spiritual reality and what's happening in the spiritual realm. That we have an enemy who wants to wage war, who wants to take us out as God's people and diminish and confuse and distort and all kinds of things. And yet we have this more powerful God who we're trusting, who's equipped us for the battle, who will ultimately lead out in victory over sin and over this world. Amen. And yet he's asked us to keep perspective, to stay awake and sober minded as we join him in the work that he's doing. 
And so this morning, I wanna join in with you on what God's been communicating, and I wanna share just so about some specific things we're seeing on the campus, some specific strategies and battlefields where the enemy is attacking students right now on the college campus, and I wanna share about three specific areas where that war is being waged. I also wanna share about how the gospel is still bringing hope to this new generation of young adults that we're working with, as well as some of the ways that our navigator ministry is trying to partner with God to bring about that protection and that equipping. That's kind of where we're headed this morning. Sound good? Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, we pause now to orient our hearts to the reality of your presence. We're gathered here today to give you the worship that you're due. And we ask that you would prepare us for what you want to communicate. Would you uh, study and clear our minds from uh, frets and worries that we might be carrying into this room this morning? We ask that uh, you would speak directly to our hearts and would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so Ephesians 6.12, this is what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I was thinking about that, and I, I see that Ephesians 6 has been a grounding passage for your series in spiritual warfare, and I love that this section of the letter of Ephesians is communicating to these Christians at Ephesus not about a list of things to do to fight in warfare, in the spiritual battle, but rather about a perspective to have. He's inviting them to consider life through this eternal spiritual perspective. And probably the only Bible character who talks more in this perspective language than Paul does in the New Testament is Jesus himself. If you look across the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is constantly teaching, healing, leading in a way to draw people's eyes away from the pragmatic, away from the earthly, and up to the spiritual. And perhaps that's most prominent in the Gospel of Matthew, where the key idea of what he's trying to communicate is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. It's a phrase that Jesus uses 40 times to lift up their eyes to the spiritual. And when Jesus is with his disciples and followers, you see he's consistently inviting them to a kind of new awareness, an altitude that goes beyond the circumstances of their life. And I think one of the most telling moments of that perspective that we get in Matthew is in Matthew 9, where Jesus has been having a long day of ministry. He's in full swing. He's been seeing lots of people healing their diseases and preaching and teaching. And you get this little insight, this little verse that I think is so instructive about his perspective perspective when it comes to spiritual warfare. And it's Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that an interesting little turn of phrase, like sheep without a shepherd? It's not just this, this poetic line, but it's this like tangible analogy for a people group that would have been embedded more in this agricultural economy. A sheep without a shepherd would have communicated someone who is vulnerable to attack. They're unprotected. They're isolated and open to any kind of threat that might come their way. A sheep without a shepherd is someone who's under-resourced. They don't know how to get what they need or where to go to get it. A sheep without a shepherd is burdened by weight. If you've ever seen a picture, anybody seen a picture of a sheep that has not been like sheared in a long time? They look crazy. <laughs> 
It can grow its wool so big and thick and accumulates so large and heavy that it impedes its ability to move even. It's weighed down. We could keep going on and on in this analogy and I think you get the idea. It's basically the opposite of Psalm 23. There's no shepherd to bring food to it. No rest, no protection, no guidance, no care. That's what Jesus sees when the crowds move by. And there's no better place to practice this perspective of this moment than a college campus. And particularly from my context, what it looks like is if you sit on a bench at the University of South Florida by the Marshall Student Center at 12.15, which is the class period that most people are in class and it lets out, you'll see thousands of students walking by. USF has over 50,000 students. It's the 38th most diverse college campus in the world. It's the number one school in America for Latino success. I don't know how they get that particular statistic, but I'm Latino and I feel successful when I'm there, so I feel like it's working. (laughs) There's also a growing number of international students, primarily from uh, nations in Asia and the Middle East. And so sitting there, you can just see the potential of like Revelation 7, 9 happening right before you. All these different tribes, tongues, and nations represented. Thousands of students mostly ages 18 to 24, walking by, independent for the first time in their lives, establishing who they're going to be, what they're going to study, looking, looking, looking for life and purpose wherever they can find it. And they're all gathered in this square mile of land. And in a few years, they're gonna graduate and go everywhere to different industries, to families, to nations across the globe. Such a strategic place, such fertile ground for the gospel. The potential of it is beautiful. And the reality of it is often heartbreaking because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because we have an enemy who is making all kinds of dangerous promises to them in that season of life that won't hold true about where they can fill the longings of their soul and where they can find life and life to the full. So for the lost on campus, those without Jesus, and the young Christ followers who are studying the Bible with the navigators this year that I wanna share about today, we're seeing some familiar patterns. We're seeing some familiar patterns that the enemy is using to keep people spiritually blind or take believers out of the race. And it's often not in the most obvious works of darkness or blatant spiritual practices or sinful practices, but it's, it's the spiritual warfare that's happening in the more subtle temptation, the cultural shifts, the heart issues that are going on and identity issues where Satan is creeping in and redirecting their heart and their faith. And so I want to share about three of those particular arenas, the battlefields where we're seeing that happen. The first arena of struggle I want to share about is anxiety. In the last 10 years, we've clocked a noticeable increase in anxiety across students and a general sense of feeling utterly overwhelmed by my life. And that's not just us and the Navigators or even us at USF in Florida, but uh, a few years ago, the New York Times wrote an article about the record numbers of college students across the world and particularly in our country flocking to university, mental health resources, centers with anxiety and depression and crazy numbers and the problem of universities trying to hire enough counselors to keep up with the demand, USF being one of them. 
college students in this generation are certainly coming in with greater pressures than maybe ever before. And there might be a few different reasons why. I think about technology, which has kind of put the world of news and unlimited information and opportunity for comparison to their peers all in their pocket. Average American picking up their phone over 200 times a day. That's not just college students, that's us, average. There's a general increase in what's demanded about their future for college students. I think about high schools and even middle schools that are communicating to their students to choose specific tracks and majors and careers before they've even lived much life, much less gotten to college to decide. The optional summer internship that was uh, an option on the table when I was a student in your future industry is now a mandatory resume builder. Coming in with AP credits or dual enrollment things is is on the rise. Faster three-year graduation rates are on the rise. Speed, competence, job fit are increasing values that students are doing work with. And we often see a generalized sentiment among students we work with that they need to graduate college on May 1st and on May 2nd be in their dream career job living out their perfect life. That's the atmosphere that they're occupying. None of those things inherently bad in and of themselves, but you can see how that might add up, especially on top of the struggles they might already be facing personally in their families or in their relationships. So it's no wonder that anxiety is something that we're talking about and seeing in students more than ever. We want to be careful when we talk about anxiety because anxiety in itself isn't this sin struggle or the issue it's what satan does with it but there and there might be real chemical things that are going on in the mental health arena we know that to be human to be an image bearer created by god is to be both body and spirit and so there might be physical body things going on but we also neglect to to speak into the spiritual side of this things all too often in the environment of anxiety satan implants the lie that life is without god that life is without God and I'm all alone. I'm carrying the weight of all of these things by myself and I need to step in and control the surroundings. And so this is what we see students dealing with and doing. They fill their schedules to the brim. They take on all the relationships, all the work, all the classes. They do life at a frenetic pace and just kind of muscle through it. And yet at some point, like the trash that's kind of piled up and gotten kind of stinky, it has to go out. All that stress and emotion has to go somewhere. And I know that in my life, when I reach this point, it's because I have a $10 million reaction to a $10 problem. Anybody ever there? Where something happens and this, something pours out of you, it even takes you back. And it's like the little check engine light on the dashboard of your heart just kind of goes ding. We need to check under the hood. Something's going on. And we see that cycle leaving me, leaving students exhausted, burnt out, hopeless. And for us in our ministry, we're trying to enter into that environment more and more by meeting the spiritual needs with that open doorway that the gospel invites us into a new way of dealing with anxiety. It invites us into true rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says, come to me, as Jesus speaking, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus, in fact, communicates the opposite of that lie that Satan is putting out there, that he's with us, that he's in control, that he wants to be a part of carrying the burdens with us. And often as we deal with anxiety and feel overwhelmed or shut down, we're craving relief. And we kind of equate rescue with escape. We pray prayers, I pray prayers that ask God to completely remove me from my crazy circumstances and my burdens. But in Matthew 11, I love that Jesus doesn't offer escape as the solution. He still uses that same yoke analogy and metaphor. It's just yoke with him. As Christ followers, Jesus invites us rather into a new way to carry life's burdens. And it's through a life of relational connection to him. And so this is something that we're talking more and more with students about in our discipleship relationships, in our Bible studies, in our large groups. We do a weekly large group that we call Nav Night. I have a picture somewhere that has a couple of these ideas. We're talking a lot more about anxiety and honoring God with our time and resting well and trying to be practical and even in some of the life skills of, of building a schedule and honoring commitments as we help these young Christ followers figure out how to navigate life in that way. We're really trying to equip students with a biblical perspective of things like margin and Sabbath principles. We're really trying to define and create pathways for what is true rest it's not binging 12 episodes of your favorite show on Netflix. The, like the jury is in. That is not bringing people true rest. Nobody feels rested after that, right? Netflix is wonderful, but it can't sustain your soul. That lack of rest is really a way that people are connecting to the spiritual disciplines we're finding in the new generation and helping them understand that our pursuit of daily time with God in the word and in prayer, it's not meant to be another checkbox that adds to the anxiety of life, another thing on the to-do list, but rather a habit of deep personal relationship with God. It's the time to center our hearts on the reality of our dependence and to yoke up next to Jesus, to treasure up truth that helps us combat the lies of the enemy. Anxiety is a big area of battle but it is fun to see the lights come on for students, the hope that fills their eyes when they realize that their schedule, their overwhelmedness, the crazy pace of their life is something that the good shepherd wants to step in and lead them through. A second area of spiritual warfare and pattern of struggle we see with students has to do with the orientation of their life, the trajectory, and it's a real focus on the self. Students are often coming into college today with a fresh new adventure awaiting them and lots of new decisions to make about their life. And our culture really values that uh, emphasis on the individual, of finding yourself, of defining yourself, and it communicates that life is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure game. And there are wonderful parts to that. There really are. But it can be dangerous, I think, when we take things like drive and ambition and self-determination frameworks about ourselves and uh, we take them from the places where it's helpful doing excellently in our job or at school or having vision for where we're headed and we put it over our spirituality. It doesn't work the same. And us in the American church, we're not devoid of even adding to that narrative. For most of the young believing students who are come to campus, maybe they've grown up in the church and they're looking to be involved with uh, an organization like ours, this is the majority of their struggle. 
They grew up in the church and so for their whole life, they've kind of deeply ingrained this God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life part of the gospel so much that one of the driving tenets beneath the surface is that my faith is about me. My faith in God is about my life my dreams, and my experiences and expectations. And it's, it's the Instagram bio line version of Jesus. It's football, coffee, and my Jesus. And as a full-time like, vocational minister of the gospel, this is what keeps me up at night because I've seen the consequences of alumni who have graduated with that kind of faith. That if I, if we perpetuate a one-sided theology for our younger disciples, a theology that has no room for conversations about how to navigate hardship, suffering, and endurance in the Christian life, we don't help them run this race for a lifetime. And instead, we get a flash in the pan, zeal for Christ during college that can't sustain the weight of suffering later when life inevitably gets hard, when marriage conflicts arise, when friends get sick and pass away, when careers are disappointing and not what you thought it was gonna be. And isn't that what the enemy wants to do? To lure us into a a veneer-like, compartmentalized faith that looks so beautiful on the outside and yet is lacking substance and actually easier to dispose of later when we realize it's not solving life's problems. That's what happens when we root our spirituality primarily in ourselves. And on the other hand, in the full picture of the scriptures, a life devoted to Jesus is a call to die to yourself. Death of ourselves is the most common metaphor that we get for a disciple. It's a proclamation that I'm not the main character of my story, but rather I'm a faithful servant to the true king. He's the protagonist. This is Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is one of my favorite verses, and it's one of the first verses that a student who would be in Bible study with us would memorize as a whole Bible study because it deals with that lordship piece. This self-oriented, self-focused Christianity is something that we've been trying to think about and actively combat. And so we've clung to some values in the way that we're trying to do ministry on the college campus to help uh, combat this in our ministry. In our training environments and in our Bible studies, one of our big values is that we don't do diet Jesus. We don't want to, or we do want to wrestle with the beautiful parts of Jesus in the Bible. And we also want to wrestle with the hard teachings. We want to count the cost of following Jesus and find it worth it. We want to build a a theology of suffering and endurance that's going to help them run the race for a lifetime. And we want to do it broadly, but often the best place that we see transformation in this area and fight on this particular battle is through the challenge and the safety of the one-on-one disciple-making relationship. Seeing generations of disciple makers, older men and women, older students who are pointing their lives into younger ones who maybe they're just one day ahead of, that's a big hallmark of navigator ministry. And I think it's so effective here because it's hard to hide the realities of your life and your faith when you're one-on-one with another person. And it's been impactful in my life. I could show you the bench that I was sitting on at the University of Florida in 2008 where a young navigator staff sat me down and told me I had a self-oriented life 
and a self-oriented faith. That my idolatry of my own life was keeping me at a distance from God and a distance from others. That was a game-changing moment in the spiritual battle for my heart. And it kind of leads into this third arena that I want to share with about this morning. This third arena of struggle is about isolation. I've already shared about the, the value of our culture a little bit on the individual that we're facing, which adds to this. If it wasn't enough, the worldwide quarantine on the heels of the pandemic only served to further create space from community. The generation of college students that are coming in, they are living in the digital age, which means everyone is connected, very few are known. They comment, like, follow, but face-to-face connection is increasingly at a premium, even if they want it. Or they might be very social and outgoing, but their volume of connections keeps depth at a distance. There's not many examples for them to look up to of a depth of friendship. They have a million options and reasons not to jump fully into community. And this is an area where Satan loves to spin lies, especially as people are starting their life. Lies like it's easier and safer to stay at an arm's length, right? To be vulnerable is risky. So I'll keep people over here. That it's better to have 500 friends that you go an inch deep with rather than five friends that you go a mile deep with who know you well. Or the ultimate lie that we can do it on our own, that we don't need community, that we don't need anybody. And in that isolation, people, Christ followers, they're easy targets for sin. In the absence of being discipled by community, they are discipled by the world. They're easy prey to sexual sin and digital addiction. They lose themselves in entertainment and content that is just constant stream and there's no truth to anchor them. Each fall, uh, with a new class of freshmen rolling onto campus, we pray and ask God that he would bring spiritually hungry college students who want to know Christ and make him known on the campus at USF. And if I were to chart out a line graph of their spiritual growth and maturity and their attendance at Bible study, it would be the same line. And it's not because our content is like so killer and amazing. It's because we were meant to do this life together. We were meant to be in community in our faith. I love Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 here. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love this verse, not only because it promotes high attendance at Christian meetings, but because there's a high standard of effort and intentionality involved in real fellowship, right? Like that's not just Christians hanging out in a room, but there's something spiritual going on inside there. It's the type of community we see early in the book of Acts. People who are living life together, who are sacrificing for one another, loving one another and spurring one another on. One of the ways that I've seen a lot of hope and movement in this arena has been with these two sophomores I want to tell you about in our ministry, Pearson and Thomas. In the summer of uh, 2020, our Navigator staff team found out that in response to COVID, uh, we had just finished our, the year before online, um, j- we just did a few months of that last year online, that the USF had made the decision that they were going to do a hybrid classroom model for the next school year, but that all student organizations, including the Navigators, were going to be fully online for the whole year. And we really scrambled to reorganize our systems and structures to maximize personal connection and joy so that we could endure a year of screen-based ministry. And that fall, over Instagram DMs and our direct messages is how we recruited and met students, we met Pearson and Thomas. 
Pearson and Thomas were in the generation that finished high school online. They didn't have a prom or a graduation ceremony. It was canceled. They sat at home all summer and then jumped into online Bible studies with the navigators and large group meetings. And for a year, they clicked on Zoom links. They clicked on Zoom links for meetings I was leading and I didn't want to click on the Zoom link. (laughs) What I love about these two guys in particular and what's brought a lot of joy is that these guys, even as freshmen, they fought for community with one another. They lived in the same dorm building, a a popular freshman dorm on campus that had single occupancy rooms so they couldn't hang out with one another. They found a a section in the dining hall, which was also single occupancy tables, where two tables were kind of closer together than the rest of the dining hall, so it felt like you were almost sitting together. They endured. They were vulnerable, teachable, and recognized that they didn't want to spend their year on Xbox Live pretending to have relationships but they wanted to move towards one another as best as they could. And that was their temptation, was to not. And so they chose to be consistent, to fight, to encourage, and to stir up one another. And this past year, we've thankfully resumed in-person ministry, but these two are the pace setters for creating community and the younger generation beneath them. They're at everything we do. They are leading the charge and creating habits of faithful community. And right now, they just jumped into our Joshua team, which is our our eight-week course on evangelism and disciple-making. This week, they're working on their homework of practicing their three-minute testimony and sharing it with a couple people. And when I look at these guys in a room like that, I get so encouraged by this vibrant picture of God's handiwork that in this dark season where I was trying to manufacture some community, when it was totally out of my control, God was at work leading, growing, and protecting these two. Satan lost this battle. Hey, I want to start wrapping up and I want to share a couple of things. One is I hope it's felt informational and illuminating to hear and see how God is at work in the the spiritual realm on the college campus and um, what warfare is happening between the enemy. So I hope that's been helpful thinking about 18 to 24 year olds in Florida and I also hope it's been convicting for you. Because as much as I'm sharing what's happening in Tampa and on this university, I think there's some truth here for you and for me in these arenas. So as I shared about some of those particular examples, maybe you felt God's spirit kind of speaking to you, illuminating a tendency or a pattern in your life, or God wants to equip you to fight temptation or to allow gospel hope to fill you up. I wonder what God might wanna continue to say and what conversation that might spark or what truth he might wanna remind you of. Second thing I want to say is thank you again. It is such a blessing to get to do this work and to get to represent you in this gospel effort. Every uh, day I put on my backpack and I go to campus and I try to like kind of pretend to fit in so I can read the Bible with college students. And thank you for that freedom and that privilege to get to embrace our calling fully. If you are not on our team and you're prayerfully considering how you want to steward your giving this missions month and this season, we would love to invite you to partner with us. Sarah and I are always asking God that he would bring new partners onto our team with monthly financial giving and prayer team that would just help support the longevity and sustainability of our ministry. So please pray for our ministry that we'd press on with endurance and joy in a rebuilding season after a full year online. We're still kind of peeling back the layers of of what was happening and what God was doing, but we do have lots of new, young, energetic students that are with us, and so we're trying to equip them. And please know we're praying for you as well, specifically that Mansfield Bible Church would be full of tons of ordinary people who are trusting God, an extraordinary God, to use their lives for his glory. Let me pray and then we'll get out of here. 
Father, thanks for this time to gather with these friends and to celebrate the unique places in the body of Christ that we occupy. It's such a joy to be here with them, to worship alongside them. Thanks for your word that searches and knows the deep places of our hearts. We ask, would you uh, root down anything that was of you today and wash away the rest? Father, as we think about spiritual warfare, we praise you that you've assured us victory against the enemy, and yet we ask for faith, courage, and depth of connection to you as we continue to fight the powers of darkness and sin. We pray that in your name. Amen.